Jonathan talked this morning uh, about one of the aspects of what Jesus' death and resurrection has brought us, um, the victory over the works of Satan, and that one of the outworkings of that is freedom. Freedom from things that bind us, freedom from things that separate us from God, things that can cause fear, anxiety, loss of sleep, depression, constant worry about things, uh, <coughs> other shackles, uh, to use that kind of spiritual term, that can just affect us uh, internally He's and emotionally. And also he came to give us healing and physical healing. But I do believe one of the things that he wants to do tonight is to bring deliverance to people, set people free from some of the emotional bondages and some of the things that bind us. There really isn't any point in coming on a weekend like this and only doing the fun, although it's been a great day. We've come here to meet with the king. We've come here to experience his kingdom. We've come here to encounter him. And some of you are still working out, who is this Jesus? I kind of get some of this. I like this crowd. Um, Do I really want to sign up for this? Others of you have been following him for years. Wherever you are on that journey, he wants to encounter you tonight and let him know that he is king in in whatever way it needs to be real for you. Because that's the kind of king that he is. And as we look at his word um, tonight, I'm hoping that he, I'm not going to pray again because Helen prayed, but my prayer is, is that Jesus helps us understand that afresh the wonder and power of what he has done for us and what the kingdom really is. It's remarkable timing this weekend. We didn't plan it this way. We'd have no idea what would be happening in our nation when we put the dates in and when we chose the subject. But there's never a more important time for the church to understand what the kingdom of God really is and to recover our voice and to recover our community and to recover our sense of identity in demonstrating the world. In the political chaos... um, and all that's going on, who could have predicted some of the scenes? I understand at Glastonbury, the other cool event happening this weekend, although I think we made the right choice. Um, it's a good lineup, though, but I still think this edges it. Um, at Glastonbury, they're cheering for Jeremy Corbyn this afternoon. And just wave after wave, of, no one would have predicted that months ago. Um, whatever you make of that, in terms of what's behind that, in terms of what people are longing for, they're longing for something different. They're longing for a change. Other people who might not be cheering his name, um, would still be quick to say, we need to do something to rescue this country and rescue this economy. Whichever way you go politically, I think you'd agree something needs to happen. And then you've got the tragedies of that fire and those horrific pictures and everything that's ongoing coming out of that. And, of course, that's just off the back of some terror attacks um, and people kind of leaving a concert and someone blows themselves up and then the attacks in London. I don't know about you, but it is good to kind of hit pause sometime and think, God, what are you doing in all of this? God, where is your justice? God, how is this nation going to see genuine mercy and love come? And now it's coming much closer to home for us. We're used to some of these news stories coming in from other nations, but now this is on our doorstep. You see, God did say he'd shake the nations. He did say that he would, that it says in Acts that he rules over all things in order that men might seek him. And some of that is what is happening in our land right now. And there's never a more important time for us to understand the subject that we're teaching on this weekend in terms of what the kingdom of God really is. It is so important that we understand the importance of the church and then we understand the importance of who we are 
in that. So a quick recap, having set us up uh, off the back of the video. There'll just be some scriptures that come up on the screen. You've got notes. Um, you'll need those because there's some quotes in there that I'll refer to. The quotes won't come on the screen. But this morning, Jonathan set out for us and also in that video, just uh, by way of a recap, God rules over everything. Uh, it says this in Isaiah, if we can put the first slide up, uh, that the, the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You've made heaven and earth. Who's in charge? Over every economy, over every religion, over every philosophy, over all the things that even say God doesn't exist. Who's in charge? So there's many kingdoms, there's many rulers, there's many different things that would say they have power, but over all of those is God. But through all the unrighteousness, through all the instability, through all the different kings and rulers down through history who have said, oh, it's this way or it's this way, for all of those that oppressed other nations, um, God had a plan. And he wanted to demonstrate what his rule would look like. He didn't simply want to sit far off and say, well, I'm a God over all of this. He entered our story to say, look, this is how life should be. If you want to see justice, if you want to see what life should really look like with a good, righteous God in control, then this is what it is. And he chose Israel, one nation, to be a, a, a kingdom for him. So we see in Exodus that God chose one nation. And he said, I'm choosing you, and I want you to be my kingdom, a kingdom of priests, those who will go between God and the world. And the idea was, was that Israel would be a demonstration to all the nations that is a different way to live. There is oppression, there is injustice, there is hardship, there is difficulty, there are many voices, but actually God is in charge. And to know what that looks like, look at Israel. At least that was the plan. And there were times, as Johnny referred to on the video, when that went okay. But there are other times when it didn't go well. Um, and Israel, in the end, said, look, we want a king like all the other kingdoms. Give us a king. And there was Saul, and there were David, and there were other kingdoms. But in the end, God promised that actually he would send a righteous king. Because even the best kings in Israel didn't really fulfill what God had called them to. Um, so God said that he would send a king who would rule over all the kingdoms. So in Daniel, I'm not going to read it on the screen, and I think it's in your notes. Um, in one of the dreams that the prophet Daniel had, uh, he saw this kingdom coming. He saw one called the Son of Man. For those of you, when you've read the Gospels and trying to understand who Jesus is, and thought, hang on, I thought he was the Son of God. Why does he call himself the Son of Man? It's for this reason. Because Daniel had a dream that said there'll be one like the Son of Man who's actually from God, and he's going to have a kingdom over all the kingdoms. So this prophecy is pointing to Jesus. And there's other prophecies, Isaiah, the one we often kind of remember at Christmas, um, unto us a child is born, talks about the greatness of his kingdom. So there's a promise in the Old Testament following God choosing one nation to display his purposes through, to say, look, I'm in charge of everything, but on earth, here's my kingdom. It's Israel. God's in charge of everything, but God's kingdom is seen in Israel. That doesn't work out, so God says, I'm going to send another king. And this one, this one will be righteous. He will be just. He will be merciful. And he will rule forever. And his name is Jesus. And then in Luke um, if that goes up on the screen, Mary is told by the angel, you're going to have this king. You're going to be 
give birth to the one that's promised. You're going to give birth to this king from heaven. What a prophecy. What an encounter with an angel. Not just you're going to have a baby, but the one that my story rests on, the one that the people of Israel have been waiting for, you're going to be pregnant with him. You're going to give birth to a king. She's not royalty. She hasn't got a royal line, but she's got God's line. She's got God who's worked through her ancestry to this point where God is promising to her, you will give birth to this king. And all of that to mean that by the time that Jesus came, when he talked about the kingdom of God, everyone knew what he meant. Remember Jonathan said earlier that for many of us today, it's a term which can be confusing. And we can think, well, what is the kingdom of God? What does that mean? That confusion wasn't there when Jesus came. Everyone knew when Jesus said the kingdom's here, everyone knew what he meant because of the promises to Israel and what God had said. You with me so far? So Jesus appears, he talks about the kingdom, and everyone says, this is what we've been waiting for. This is amazing. Justice, mercy, righteousness. Yes, Jesus, we're listening. There was then a problem when Jesus didn't pick up a sword, raise an army, and sit on a throne. It wasn't the kind of king that they were waiting for. They thought he'd be a military king. But it was very clear that they knew when Jesus talked about a kingdom, they were expecting a king with a people on earth. They were expecting a, a reality, a community, a people who were ruled, not just something which was out there. God is still in charge and ruling over all things, but on earth there's to be an example, a demonstration of what his rule looks like with a king, a human king, who is Jesus. Still with me? That's the kingdom. So I'm just repeating what we saw on the video, but it's so important for what I want to teach tonight, that we need to understand that the kingdom of God at this present time in history, his rule, his reign seen on earth to be experienced on earth by people is the church. That's what the kingdom of God is. Now there can be lots of confusion around this because people say, well, hang on a minute, we thought God's ruling over everything. We think God rules over the, the affairs of other nations. God rules over the affairs of what happens in the world. Yes, he does. But the kingdom of God and the king is Jesus, and that's also where it gets confusing. You think, well, why can't we just call it the kingdom of Jesus? Well, because the Old Testament and, and then in the New Testament it gets called the kingdom of God. It would be so much easier if we called it the kingdom of Jesus. But then you've got the Trinity, so it's the same thing anyway. The kingdom of God is his specific rule seen on earth through a community of people who say Jesus is our king. Is that clear? Is that people with us? So I'll just tell you a story. I had the privilege of being at a conference this week in America um, talking about a lot of uh, th theology and cultural issues related to the Middle East. So Rich O'Carroll, who is leading the work in Beirut, he was with me. Um, he was giving a seminar at this conference. So we're flying back, having had a really good time, um, and we got a we're in Chicago, we've got a connection through New York for some reason, um, and we've got 50 minutes, and we think, well, that's not going to work, is it? But the airline says it's going to work. Um, so we eventually, we leave late, 
we think we're not going to make the connection. We make up time, we land, we think we might make the connection. And then apparently, those of you who travel this way might know this, I didn't. New York is one of the worst airports for delays, and we sit on the tarmac for ages because there's literally a traffic jam. There's too many planes. We think we're not going to make it. And sure enough, the time we get off the plane, we've got five minutes before our next one departs. Um, Rich just pelts it and runs um, because we got separated. I do a little bit of running until I see him running back towards me because our flight has gone. But it's okay because there's another one within the next hour, identical route airline. So you think, well, that's okay. We managed to get on that one. So we're on that one, so about 15 minutes late, but that's okay, at least we're on it. And they close the doors and we're about to go, and then there's a call for a doctor and then the stewardesses are running oxygen down to the front of the plane. And then there's a medical kit being got out from lock and key. And we think, what on earth is going on? Um, fortunately, the person that was ill did recover. But paramedics have to come on and take him off the plane. So we're thinking, hopefully we'll get home at some point. Then we set off again. And the captain says, don't worry, all the delays are finished. Um, so that's the good news. Uh, all the traffic's out the way. There'll be no more delays. So off we go. And then we stop. And eventually, the captain announces, sorry for the delay, a plane's just gone off the runway and done a bad landing. <laughs> Everyone was okay, fortunately. Um, so they're waiting to check the runway, and then after this is all sorted, we, we'll, we'll, we'll get to go. And you think, goodness, I've never had so many delays. So we miss a plane, a passenger's taken ill, and then a plane crash lands, and eventually we get off. <clears throat> I tell you this story because sitting next to us, when we did get to go, are a couple from Lebanon who speak Arabic. So Rich has a wonderful conversation with them and says, I live in Lebanon. Other passengers on the plane are looking slightly suspicious as this conversation in Arabic is going on. But there you go, that's life these days. And they end up swapping numbers. Rich says to them how much they love Lebanon and why God has taken them there and how they love Lebanese people and how they love people from the south because that's the people group that Rich wants to reach. And they swap numbers. Um, and they're going to try and meet up with them. The reason for telling the story is it's good to have a current story of what God is doing. Some people these days, with such a broad definition of what the kingdom of God is, would say, in that moment, the kingdom came. In that conversation on the plane, after all the delays, it was an opportunity for the kingdom of God to come. And as Rich spoke to them in Arabic, they encountered the kingdom. No, they didn't. They encountered a, a subject of the king, who, because he loves the king, spoke to them. But they didn't encounter the kingdom. They encountered the kingdom when they put their faith in the king. And when they become part of his community, the church. Because that's what the kingdom is. Now every one of us are followers of the king and subjects of the king. And need to be ready and alert to how he's going to use us wherever he's placed us. That's Johnny's talk tomorrow. So the kingdom affects everything we do where we live, where we work, all the, all the subjects that the workshops were on. But the kingdom of God is this. The kingdom of God is you and I, loving Jesus together, worshipping him together, being community together. That was God's plan. That yes, he is in sovereign rule, although why he can organise my time ta- playing timetable, I do not know, but there you go. He was in sovereign charge, we got home eventually. So God is in charge over everything. But to demonstrate his righteousness, his mercy, his love, to fulfill the promises from the Old Testament that one day a king will come who will rule with righteousness, mercy, love, and grace. 
and the world can see it, that's the church. That's us. That's what the world is longing for and waiting for. I'm not talking about Sunday morning meetings. I'm not talking about having incredible worship times with a band at the front, although I thank God for that, and we get to encounter the presence of the King, and it's wonderful. But to the rest of the world, it's just another music set. That's just doing another gig, just that we put some religious names on it to them. That's what it looks like. Now, people will meet with God in that setting. I'm not saying that God can't use that. Of course he uses that. He uses that to encourage and strengthen us. But when I talk about church, do not be thinking of Sunday mornings. Do not be thinking of a worship set. Do not be thinking only of us teaching, although that is so important because it equips us. I'm talking about our life together. I'm talking about our community together. I'm talking about how we interact with one another. That God has formed a new humanity through rescuing us, forgiving us, making us new in here, giving us the power of his Holy Spirit. We'll come on to that a little bit later. A new humanity changed. We're different. We're not under the rule of Satan anymore. That's why we're here. Because we looked at that, realized it left us empty. It left us dry. It didn't fulfill any of its promises. And some of us pursued it hard and thought that following him and following selfishness and following ambition and following materialism and following whatever else we wanted to follow would fill us up, like the promises say. But it doesn't. It leaves us empty. It leaves us with nothing. And then Jesus found us and gave us everything. And an exchange took place when we put our faith in him. Then instead of being in the kingdom of Satan, instead of being in the kingdom of the lies where he says, well, just do what you want. It's about you, and it's about your rights, it's about your comfort, it's about your well-being. There's no one more important than you. Yeah, if you want to be kind to a few people along the way, if you want to be nice to them, then that's good. Just make sure they're nice to you, because then it gets really good. But yeah, you can do that, but it's about you. We left that because Jesus found us, and his grace and mercy and power came to us. And in that moment, we exchanged kingdoms. And when we then do that together... And live that out together. And when we choose to forgive, to love, to find grace, to find righteousness in our relationships, the kingdom of God has come. That's what the gospel is. That's what Jonathan was summing up for us this morning. And my talk tonight, which we're getting into now, is what does the kingdom look like in our life together? But I wanted us to understand again the power of what the church is. Because otherwise we'll miss it. Because otherwise all we'll hear is, is, well, our life together is meant to look good. Because we go to the same church. And, and we go to the same worship meetings. And, and we kind of, we like our leaders because they're good leaders. And we, we get good teaching. And, and hopefully we have some good small groups. Now, if we don't understand the power of what Jesus is doing through this new community, it's just another event in the diary. It's just another thing to fit in. It's just another thing to try and get to when we're already busy studying hard at uni, wondering if we're going to get our degree, or working hard just to pay the mortgage, or running on empty, just raising our kids. And if we don't understand the glory of what this is, it just becomes another pressure. It becomes another duty. Yeah, we enjoy it if worship goes well and the teaching helps us. Friends, this isn't about meetings and stuff in the diary. This is the community of the king. This is where righteousness is found. This is where hope can fill your heart. This is where grace and mercy can be found. 
And oh yeah, I know we get it wrong. I know that we can get hurt. I know relationships can get broken. I know leaders don't always come through on things that they say they're going to do. I know that, hands up. I've been leading for years and I know that I've not got it right and I've had people come to me and tell me that. I'm not talking about a utopia here where everything is perfect. But I am talking about the need for us to understand what Jesus is doing. He is ruling over a people in order that the world will know there's a different way to live. That's what the church is. It's the community of the king. The church is the demonstration of the reign of Jesus. So much more than attending worship meetings and small groups. The gospel, the good news of the kingdom, is much more than individual salvation and a place in heaven, as Jonathan said this morning. God has acted through his son. Jesus, the king, and his rule is here on earth now in a new colony, a new community, a new society, a new humanity. It's called the church. Someone writing on this, this is in your notes, someone called Donald Craybill, who wrote this years ago. He said, the kingdom is manifest when God rules in the hearts and social relationships of his people. In other words, how we interact. It's not just a vague thing of God just ruling out there somewhere. It's worked out through our relationships. It's worked out in our social life together. It's worked out in how we speak, how we hang out, how we eat together, forgive one another, love one another. That's the kingdom. The unique identity of his kingdom emerges from the special shape and form of the common policies and practices <coughs> which tie his citizens together. There's a quote in your notes from John Stotts that talks about the kingdom being tied fundamentally to Christ. And the church is the community of Christ. So there's no kingdom outside of that. Tim Chester talking about social action, saying we can do social action because God's working in the world. But to reform society isn't the kingdom. God's always been working in the world. He's always been sovereign in the world. The kingdom is something else. Letting it spill out, doing all the stuff that was covered in the workshop this morning is so, so very, very important. It's not something which just stays in the meeting, stays in our community. But that's not the kingdom. This is the kingdom. How we live together is a display of the gospel. That staggering. I mean, if you think about it, I think any of us would have chosen this as plan A. I think we'd get to the point of Jesus in the story and the resurrection and Jesus conquering death. And we'd say, okay, God, a bit like the disciples did, what's next? Jesus, where are you going to go? We can do anything now. Rome, this, we realize we don't need military power now, Jesus. Even death can't keep you. So what's the plan? Let's stick with you, Jesus. Please, you stay on earth. You keep doing all this healing stuff. Maybe we'll have a few thousands and tens of thousands of people now. Maybe you can get to go to a few other nations because you can clearly just disappear and come and go as you wish. So maybe you can go to India and we'll catch you up later. Or or maybe you can go over to this place they'll call Europe one day and, and we'll get in a boat and catch you up. But Jesus, please, let's take this around the world. Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going back to the Father. I'm going to sit on a throne over all the powers because I've defeated them. And as I rule and reign over them, as Paul says in Ephesians, over all the powers for the church. For the church. That's what he's ruling for. So you will be a witness to what has happened. 
A witness to the fact that death has been defeated. A witness to the fact that there's healing available. A witness to the fact that wholeness is available. A witness to the fact there's a hope that can pump in your heart and get you up in the morning that will never, never leave you empty. A witness to the fact that there's power available to forgive one another, to overcome broken relationships, to love one another in a love that doesn't disappear in the morning but can keep on going, keep on going, keep on going. The kind of love which comes from heaven which we can then demonstrate to one another and leaves the world gasping because they've never had a love like that that's what's jesus's plan that jesus looked at a room like this here's where it gets really shocking i mean look i'm serious look look around i wanted to get this you're the kingdom you're the kingdom of god you're the hope of the world it's the hope of birmingham right now we don't need a protest. We don't need a petition. We don't need a political engagement. We don't need to find our voice in Westminster. The church has a voice. His name is Jesus. And he's chosen you to love, care, demonstrate mercy, grace, to live in a community that the world hasn't tasted or seen or has just glimpsed. That's what the church is. And I'm torn tonight, thank you. And I'm torn tonight between the reality of what I've lived in for years and I know we don't measure up to it. And I know I don't measure up to it. And I know my family don't measure up to it. But it's God's plan, A, eh? And by his grace, and by the power of his Holy Spirit, we have got the opportunity to demonstrate to Birmingham and the nation that there's another way to live. In the power of the Holy Spirit, let fresh revelation come to you that moves us beyond just meetings, and we have some good ones. There's nothing wrong in that. We're having a, we'll have a good one tonight when we worship and encounter his presence. And he's working now in our hearts. But it's something which takes us beyond that. Something which is really, really radical. If you're 30 or under, stand up, please. Okay, settle down. I think it's fun. It always creates a stir, doesn't it? Why are you standing? Well, you said 30 or under. <laughs> Everyone checking each other's ages. In the name of Jesus, you have an opportunity to take this further and define it more and to live it out more than what me and my generation have. In the name of Jesus, you have an opportunity to build a community, to be a community that is more radical in its love for the poor, is more radical in its demonstration of hospitality, is more radical in how it runs its bank accounts and its money, is more radical in grace to one another. If you look at some of the stuff that goes on in the name of church and you're bored, well, thank God. Don't walk away. Don't let cynicism come. But rather let the reality of Scripture grip your heart. And if you want to engage politically, engage politically. If you want to campaign for those that don't have a voice, then campaign for those that don't have a voice. But give your heart to building a community that does that. Give your heart to building a community that demonstrates that. See, we have no credibility if we don't love and care for the poor amongst us. We have no credibility if we're arguing for a different economic system and yet the church is just as capitalistic and individualistic as anybody else's. Because all the world does is look at us and think, well, you live like us, you just put Jesus on it. 
You live like us, but you just sing songs on Sundays. You live like us, but you study the Bible. And that's fine. We like that. But your houses, cars, clothes, and the way you dress, and the way you have your home, your castle, as a sanctuary for you is the same as everybody else's. Jesus has called us to something more radical. Sit down. Thank you. Just felt it was right to do that. Those of us over 30, help them. (laughs) I'm serious. I'm serious. Notes. Here we go. Our relationships together really, really matter. Loving one another is a demonstration of this new rule. Every time, listen to this, every time we forgive someone is a powerful demonstration that the power of evil has been broken. Every time you forgive someone, you think, well, it's just between me and them. Who knows? doesn't matter who knows. Evil's been overcome. In Ephesians 3, Paul says it's through the church. His manifold wisdom is displayed to the powers. So you might think, well, the government doesn't notice. My boss doesn't notice. No one really important notices that I forgave someone. No, Satan does. And it's a demonstration that his power has been broken. How we love one another, how we care for one another. When things fall out, when a leader lets you down and you think, oh, Jesus is telling me I've got to let it go and I've got to forgive them. In that moment that you do that, the kingdom of God is manifest. Because the world knows nothing of forgiveness. The world is told, take revenge, be bitter, be angry, slag them off on social media, defriend them, don't follow them anymore or whatever else. The kingdom says, forgive them as I have forgiven you. Our relationships matter. So on the one hand, I'm casting a vision and saying, look, there's so much more to go for. On the other hand, I'm saying some of this is dead simple and we're doing it already. And the kingdom is amongst us. And people are in the room for that reason because they saw the love. They saw the community. They heard the name of Jesus and they realized it wasn't just a preacher at the front hyping it, but the people already living it. Church Central, this isn't beyond us. We're living this already. It's my joy to underline it tonight and say, hey, this is the kingdom. Realize afresh the power and the wonder of love, of care, of community, of inviting someone else into your home, of hanging out with someone when you're one out and tired and God says, go the extra mile. They just need to hear your voice. They just need an arm around them that says, come on, what's going on? Cry here for a bit or let me tell you how good you are or how well you're doing. That is the kingdom in community, in the name of Jesus. Does the world see it? I'm not bothered. It's not the point. Jesus has died for the world. What he's forming is a new community. And they'll see our life together. They might not see every exchange, but when they get to touch it, they'll realize there's something else going on. And some of you know what I mean, because that's what drew you in. How we handle our money, our giving and generosity is a sign that we're not living the way the world lives. We have a new allegiance to a new king. The church is the society where people find peace. The church is a society where people find justice. The church is a society where people know righteousness. You see, Paul teaches this in his letters again and again and again. You look at some of his letters. He's writing back to Ephesus, the book of Ephesians. It's a city where they worship a sex goddess. 
It's a city where there's a huge trade and profit based on that. And Paul writes back to them, and all he does is write about how Jesus has saved them, their new identity in him, the glory of what the church is, a temple of the Holy Spirit with Jesus ruling over it, and then says, so love one another, care for one another, forgive one another. Um, in marriage, do this. Kids, do this. And, and this is what it should look like. And you think, Paul, there's a city out there. What about the city? Paul, yeah, I've got the city. Be the church. We spend so much time in Christianity these days. We've done it for years. I'm old, so I can say these things. Every generation, how are we going to reach the lost? What innovation is there? What conversation? How are we going to engage culture? What does church need to look like? How do we need to change our small groups? How do Sundays need to be done? Should it even be Sundays at all? What about this ministry, this ministry, and this ministry in order to grow the church? Let's stop trying to grow the thing. Jesus does that. Let's be the thing he's called us to be. Because that's where Paul goes in letter after letter after letter. Now, Johnny will pick this up tomorrow. How we live outside of what we're doing in community makes a massive difference. And Jesus uses that in terms of seeds sown. Because that's how Jesus taught. Sow seeds wherever you go. And some will grow. Some won't, but some will. Let's keep having the conversations about cultural engagement. Let's keep having conversations about how to speak up at university or in the workplace or where some of us are compromised ethically and thinking, how can I do this? I'm trying to follow Jesus, but this is really hard. Absolutely have those conversations. But let's have just as many conversations about how we can be a radical community that demonstrates the love of the king to a broken world. See, Paul doesn't say Jesus has saved you, now save the world. Rather, he says, live as citizens of the king and show the world that so there is salvation. Say that again. Paul doesn't say, Jesus has saved you, now go and save the world. He doesn't say it. What he says is, Jesus has saved you, live as his citizens of the king and show the world there is salvation. If you were to sum this all up, life in the kingdom, our life together is a life of love. When we can become over-familiar with the Bible's teaching on how to live And in the face of opposition and intimidation from the world, we can miss the power of a new community living the way Jesus taught us to. Hence, we can now try to have conversations about how can we be more innovative and everything else. No, Jesus has given us everything we need for every generation to how to live and how to show the world there's another way. It's called love. But we forget how powerful it is. Um, John Tyson, a pastor in America, um, when writing about engaging culture, he says this, this is in your notes, we have often dismissed Jesus' Jesus' command to love as a cliche. But 1 Corinthians 13, which is a passage about what love looks like, could not be more clear. If we do not give love right, nothing else matters. Yet instead of focusing on love, we keep seeking a more sophisticated influence strategy. That has caused us to reach for the microphone, and the result has been the world sticking its fingers in its ears. Our influence will actually be determined by the level of our self-sacrificing commitment to our neighbours and our willingness to see things through even when things get hard. The focus of the church is not on economic systems, legislation, sexual morality or maintaining positions of cultural power. The tangible focus is on creating disciples of Jesus in radical community who are financially promiscuous. What a great phrase. That means we give our money away. 
not sexually promiscuous, financially promiscuous, generous, giving our money, all the stuff Jonathan's exhorting us to. Remarkably faithful and humble in the service of those around them. This is a man grappling with what does church look like in one of the most influential cities in the world. His church is growing, thriving. And this is what he says. He says, let's not neglect love. Let's understand Jesus has given us how we need to live. Jesus, the king, of course, showed us this. He says this in Mark. This will come up on the screen. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. The high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, we need to let that cut right to the heart of our individualism in the 21st century. We need to let it cut right to the heart of when the world says, you've got rights. Right to the heart of consumerism. That it should please us. It's all about me. It's all about my pleasure. Tragically, as many of us know, church has become like that. Of course, if it doesn't work, if the worship set isn't good enough, if the relationships don't work, if I'm not served, I'm out of here because there's another one down the road. And that's what it's become. Just to stick things out, to be faithful, like Tyson said, to keep persevering. Some of you have been doing this for years. Some of you didn't stand up. You weren't even close to 30. Well done. You've persevered. You've kept following Jesus. You've been disappointed. You've been hurt. People have let you down. Relationships have hurt. Some of you are probably still carrying disappointment. And even tonight, you're battling with, can I really give myself to believing this again? I believed this years ago. I wanted to see a radical community, but I got hurt and and I just leveled off a bit and pulled back. Well done for being faithful and keeping on going. Well done for sticking it out. You see, to lay our lives down for one another isn't about you. It's about the other person. It's not about what we get out of it. It's not about whether we're satisfied. It's not about whether my needs are met. It's not about whether I get a prophetic word. It's not about whether someone prays for me because I've had a tough week. It's not about whether someone's going to notice that I'm in the meeting because I could really do with it because I've given out so much this week. Jesus' example of pouring his life out and the night, the night before he was due to be nailed to a cross and all the wrath of God of the sin and injustice in the world was going to be poured on him. He takes his robe off, puts on a towel and gets down on his knees and washes his disciples' feet and says, do this. Do this to others so the world might know. Flies in the face, as I said, of our individualism and our needs being met. And yet that is radical community. That's what life in the kingdom looks like. But life together in the kingdom is life filled with the Holy Spirit. Before this becomes too much of a weight and a burden tonight in my passion and zeal for the church. No, this is why he gives you the spirit. This is why he doesn't say, come on, live this way. Stop thinking about you. He comes and fills you in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a quote in your notes. I'm not even going to read it tonight. It's a bit long. But where an American author writing on this talks about how again and again in the New Testament, you see Paul talk about the Holy Spirit being given and life in the Spirit being given to live with one another, to forgive one another, to care for one another. 
The Spirit isn't given in order that we can be better in our jobs, in order that we can get promotions, in order that we can be better at this or better at that in terms of our skills. Oh, sure, he'll help us and give us wisdom, but it's actually in order that we can love more, forgive more, have enough energy to keep caring and to keep loving. He's giving you his Spirit. If you're tired and weary tonight, if you're getting stirred by this, but thinking, oh, it's all I can do just to attend a meeting. Don't tell me it's not about meetings. I thought I was doing quite well. Be filled with the Spirit. Let him come to you. Let his strength and his energy come to you. Because he's a king who comes to live in us through his power. If all you can do is just feel like you're treading water as you try to raise your children and try and hold a job down, try and make your bank balance work and everything else, and then you hear a, a passionate call to build a radical community, come and drink from the Holy Spirit. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's not by strategy. It's not by man. It's by his spirit. The reason, as you heard me preach at Easter, Jesus died on the cross was yes for our forgiveness. The reason why he rose again was to show he had defeated death. And yes, that's good news. But what comes out of that is really good news. He gets to live in your life in power. Power to live different. Power to love when you're running on empty. Power to pick you up and fill your heart with hope again. Life together in the kingdom is a life filled with the Spirit. And we need to learn to drink more. And we'll do that in a few minutes. But we need to learn to drink more when you're just changing nappies with your kid. Or you're just sitting in the office thinking, how can I get through this budget meeting? Or you're looking at your sales target and thinking, oh, I'm not even close. It's in those moments. Oh, King Jesus, I need to know your Spirit now. I need to know you lift me now. I need to know you come to me now. Give me power to live for all that we're going to hear tomorrow as a subject of the king in this place. That I'm not just clinging on for Sunday where I hope I have a good encounter and maybe that will keep me going for another week. I won't ask for a show of hands for how many of us live like that, but it's too many of us. And I'm speaking from personal experience and I get to do this full time. We can just be hanging on. Oh, I hope, I hope I can meet with God this weekend. I hope worship is incredible. I hope Owen does a cracking job. No pressure, Owen, but we're all hanging on you. I hope, <laughs> I hope I just get to meet. No, listen, friends. Life together in the kingdom is knowing the presence of the Holy Spirit right where you are in that moment. And we just need to keep encouraging each other and learning how to do that. And life in the kingdom, as we head into worshiping the king in a minute, is this. It's a life of joy and a life of hope. Because we have hope, the kingdom has come and is coming in its fullness. In all the chaos of what's going on at the moment, as I said, politically, what's going on with terror attacks, the sense of instability in the economy and the uncertainty, friends, God is working his rule out. And he's working over all things for the church. That's all I can say. I don't know how he's doing that. I don't know how these things are going to work it out. But I've got my faith and confidence that God is ruling and working these things out because his word says so. But I've got hope too. Because one day this king is coming back. 
One day this King Jesus is coming back for his bride. One day this King Jesus is going to come and when he comes, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and every voice that mocked and everyone that stood in his way and everyone said, you didn't rise again. I didn't even believe you were real. Will fall on their faces and worship him and every power that has stood in his way and everything that has tried to oppress the church and everything that has tried to rob you of joy and everything that tried to assault your family and everything that tried to break your marriage and everything that caused you pain and hurt and everything that you felt robbed you and every prayer that you didn't think was answered or every bit of disappointment you encountered or friends encountered or every question that you couldn't answer for your friends when they were so hurting will be answered in a moment because the king will come in all his glory righteousness and justice and in the very appropriate and in that moment you know sometimes people say oh when you see Jesus what questions you're going to have for him zero Because he's the answer. And in that moment, everything will be answered. In that moment, every tear I've wept, every time I prayed for someone they've not been healed, our little boy years ago who died after loads of people prayed for him, and all of the pain and hurt that many of you have gotten, stories we could tell. I'm not going to say to Jesus, excuse me, Lord. Excuse me, angels. Can you just stop him a minute? Excuse me. Why? Because in that moment, I'll see him. And his righteousness and goodness and healing and wholeness will be so real. I'll be transformed in a moment and there'll be no more tears. There'll be no more confusion. There'll be no more wondering what happened. Every ounce of disappointment will be gone. Every question around God, what's going on in this nation? And how will this things work out in this land? And what about this political power or this political power? Or what about that... What about that church leader who suddenly died in Morocco earlier this year? Or what about the persecution that my friends in the Easter experience? Those questions will not be on my lips. Because I'll see a king more pure and more holy and more righteous. I will fall on my knees. And with a heart overflowing, we'll sing, Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. And we get to do that now. We get to know that now. That's why the church, this community, should be the most joy-filled, hope-filled thing happening in Birmingham. Not because you've had a great preach, not because I got passionate, not because Jonathan spoke with such clarity, not because we had a great time worshipping, although that was a prophetic demonstration of what we need to be doing, wasn't it, this morning? Isn't that wonderful? Thank you guys so much. But because we look forward and we see a day... When every cry of justice, when every hurt that we're carrying, when every longing we have for the poor to be set free, for a different political system, for a different economic way to live, or whatever it is he's put on your heart and keep longing for it. But it will be met in him. It will be met in him because that's why he died. That's why he rose and he's coming back. So life together, to sum this up, then we're going to worship band if you want to start coming up. Life together is a demonstration of the fact that there's a king. It's a demonstration of the good news. Life together is a life of love. Every bit of kindness, every conversation you have with one another, every time you encourage someone or drop in on someone because you haven't seen them for a while, or every time you forgive someone, is a demonstration that the kingdom has come and there's a different way to live. And as well as receiving that encouragement, let's reach and stretch for more. In so doing, let's know that life together is a life empowered by the Holy Spirit because the King came in order that he could be with you by his Spirit. And life together is a life of joy and hope. And some of you tonight...
Some of you, I didn't know I was going to finish on that. Just feel the Holy Spirit really wants to meet with some of you tonight and bring joy and bring hope to you. Some of you are so weary. Some of you have lost your way. There's no condemnation. No one's going to slap you and say where you've been. But the King wants to come to you and restore hope which was lost and joy which is yours. This is the kingdom. It's here. Oh, his rule and his reign in the world is far bigger than this. He's doing all kinds of stuff we can't see. But the King Jesus, his kingdom is the church. Wow. Let's stand.